0: Welcome to Queer Walk, the podcast. I am Money, the
1: dissertating dyke still. Still, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I am Nikita. I am your friendly, neighborhood, flagrant homosexual. Oh,
0: flagrant. Good word, good word. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it really gets us into later in the episode. It does. All right. So, do you want to drop the intro? I feel like you you rarely drop it. Go ahead, drop the intro.
1: Drop the motherfucking intro. <laughs> this is
0: why I don't let you drop. <laughs> why? I, that was
1: sufficiently dropped. <laughs> <laughs> Love your chocolate demeanor And your cocoa kisses I see your glow from a distance Your vow to my submission I give you all of me Wanna make you proud of me We see the God in all you do Your light is harmony I hope you hear that on the daily baby, your love, you love.
0: All right, Nikita. It has been a minute since we've been in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was about to say in the studio, but... Uh, <laughs> this is our studio. This is our makeshift studio. Yeah. You know, I actually thought about getting an entertainment center and I was like, no,
1: because then where would we record?
0: Right, so Cause we need our
1: old trusty, dusty desk here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Y'all, so yeah, it has been a minute since yeah. we've been in the living room. Since you we know. left you without a dope beat to step two. Step to. That too, that too. But, um, because <laughs> we pre recorded the episode and then we had the live show. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening to that. Yeah. It was amazing. That was so have much Diamond, fun. Finally, have Diamond yeah. on the podcast. Truly. Um, have all the homies up. The, the Black, Batty Brigade. The Black Batty Brigade. Yeah. yeah. That, um, was, that
1: was fantastic.
0: Yeah. That was great. And now we back. I just feel like we are killing it. We really for 2018 are. 2018. Yeah. Because we had the pleasure of interviewing the High Priestess. The High Priestess of Queer Walk. Of Queer Walk. Alexis Pauline Gomes. A-P-G? So make sure you stay tuned for the topic this episode because we will be talking with it- none other than Dr. Gomes. Just overflowing
1: with black feminist brilliance and I'll just for leave real. it right there. Black feminist air thing. Okay. Hits, I hit a little twerkle. Yeah, I was about to say it.
0: <laughs> studs make twerkle. <laughs> So you want to tell everybody where they
1: can find us. Yes, you can find us on Instagram at Queer Rock Pod. And that's also our handle at Queer Rock Pod on Twitter. You can find us on the Book of Faces Queer Rock colon the podcast. You can also find us privately in our gmail which is queerwalkpod at gmail.com that's right that's
0: right
1: that's right i feel like i got like a radio hosting voice going on i like you it you did you switched nice. into another mode there stars mm-hmm. make twerkle <laughs> <laughs> back to you money <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you can listen to this here program on soundcloud stitcher google play or itunes
1: nice the iTunes app. What is it? Podcast. The purple. Oh, okay. It's just called Podcast. Yes. I don't know or how Apple you... Apple Podcast. We do a podcast, and I can't believe that you forget that the name of that I app just is don't... simply Podcast. <laughs> There's no I just... excuse for that, truly. I know. And wherever you're listening and you're... Just like, oh my God, that was so great. Or I want to engage with other people, a part of the queer whack community. Be sure to use the hashtag, hashtag queer W O C. I was actually going to get into that. Well, you can... snooze, you lose. <laughs> now, what were you going to say? It's important. Just, how? Just
0: like you. <laughs> how you all can contribute to this here program that is run and sustained by two. Black Lesbian Troublemakers, you can help us continue this here program one of two ways. Nikita got us kicked off into the first one, which is by blasting the community, making us more visible. Use the hashtag QueerWOC, post the episodes when you're listening, use the hashtag PodIn when you're actively listening, Uh, tell a friend. Share with a friend. Put a friend on. You know, you know you have a friend. Who's like? Mm, I kind of want to get into podcast. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of like super black and leftist. I'm kind of, you know, really queer. I just don't know if I could find really me trying to in wrangle with this mental health shit.
1: Right here, right here, and you know, you know, <laughs> you know, you got a popping ass group chat. Have you dropped the, the link? link in the group in chat? in the group chat? Drop the link in a
0: group chat. So, the second way you can help us sustain this hair program is... It's me rubbing my hands together. I see. With the money. <laughs> yes. So, you can drop some coins off once in the PayPal, which is paypal.me slash queerwoc. That's a one-time donation. Helps us sustain over here. Hoping to do big things in 2019 um, and to conti- continue to do what we've been doing thus far. Or you can become a sustainer. A sustainer. Don't you want to be
1: sustained?
0: (laughs) Which means that you give a monthly donation, as little or as much as you can afford. We have some suggestions over there for you. Head over to the Patreon. Patreon.com slash QueerWalk. The Patreon is actually Patreon.com slash QueerWalkPod. Oh, fuck. And you'll get access to patron-only information over there, some Queer Walk exclusives. Exclusive. And, again, help us sustain this here program and
1: community. So, yeah. Patreon.com slash Queer Walk pod. Another way that you can contribute, money mentioned the hashtag, but, you know, or maybe you don't know, this is your first time listening. We do a segment called Curved Chronicles, which is the woes and the wins of dating. So maybe you have a chronicle where you curved somebody or where, wah, 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 you, you were got curved. got curved. That's okay. Why did you say it? I said it so sad and you said it so hard. <laughs> <laughs> you were curved. That sounds like a game show. You got curved. Anyway, <laughs> you want to send your dating woe or win, again, shoot us an email, queerwalkpod at gmail.com. Because, I mean, we only have so many... Dating stories to share,
0: truly, because Nikita is, (gasps) beedadoo, boot up, and I
1: am dead inside. (laughs) (laughs) That was a tad dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so do you want to move on to the? Queer Walk, Queer Walk, Queer Walk -walk -walk of the the Week. week. Oh, man. All right. So um,
0: I want to start, like, introducing it, but you're going to jump in and, like, help me out? Yeah. Because she just, like, needs all the claps and applause. Queer Walk of the Week this week is Sharice Davids. And if you follow us on Instagram, this is probably not a surprise to you because we posted her right after
1: um, the The, midterm election. The midterm election, yep.
0: Yes. But for those of you who don't follow us on Instagram, one stop right now and go follow us at Queer Walk Pod. Also, (laughs) shout out to Sharice Davis. So she is the Democrat who um, beat the Republican who's been like holding the congressional seat in Kansas for several terms, um, almost by double digits. She she like whooped him. Cringed that motherfucker. Yeah, um, a political nuck if you buck, if you will. (laughs) 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 But uh, outside of uh, not only running an incredible, um, like, campaign, we also highlight Sharice because she is the first out lesbian um, Kansas representative in Congress and is also one of the two first um, indigenous women who were elected to Congress on midterm elections. Yeah. So, definitely had to shout out Cherise. Outside of all of that, she's also a baddie. Right. She Fight.
1: used to be an
0: MMA fighter. Fighter. And her, even, I'm going to put a, I'm going to post a link to her um, campaign, campaign video. That holy shit. Because it, it, it was doing so much. The first thing was, you know, I'm a fighter for us. And, like, uh like our people. She specifically named, like, Native Americans, LGBT yeah. folks, working, working class, class folks. folks. but. It was also like, look how fine I am, right? <laughs> <laughs> it, it really was, yeah. <laughs> and again, a political knuck if you buck. It was like Trump's administration don't care. It was about like us. I come in that house <laughs> busting his head.
1: That's that's what the video. That was that would be like the Sharice David's yes. remix.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So, um, NBC News did an incredible like article. About her historic victory. So I'm going to put that in the um, in the show notes also. So definitely click that link and read more about her. Um, just some sort of like highlights of her platform. That you know Nikita <laughs> would like to be like. Well she's new to this. We're going to push her and make her more radical. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah she, she to me seems like. She has like similar um, political platform and agenda as Obama. Like.
1: More more support for the middle and working class. Right. She's, um, she wants to have... Expanding health care. Yeah. Like, she gave... There was some interview where she kind of gave... I think it was kind of, like, a little bit of, like, milquetoast support for, like, Medicare for all. But mm-hmm. I think she was, like... Yeah, that's a good idea, but we kind of got to focus on it right now. So that kind of made me like a little meh. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so she's also talked about making sure that public schools need to be like properly funded. Right. Um, that kind of thing is so there's that like, kind of mild, not mild, but like broad support, mm-hmm. um, for immigrants. So it wasn't necessary. Like she gave some answers. Somebody asked her in some interview about whether she supported abolish ICE, and she kind of like skirted it and said that you know she had broad support. Um, for immigrants. So maybe it's not as strong as we want, but like her saying that her coming out in support of immigrants in this context, this time, yeah, um, it actually, you know, that is important, but now that she's sitting in a position of power, I think she should be right now, we'll see. Yeah. I think she should be lovingly pushed. Because she's, she's new. Right, you know? and so she's not yeah. like one of these career, you know, politicians, Who's doesn't come corrupted. from like a political, yeah. like some one of these political dynastic families, and so I think a Hopefully, a lot of this stuff will come through like experience, and mm-hmm. it's like, and like you mentioned, like there, she's a part of this wave. I yeah. think that we see yeah. of um, progressive Democrats, mm-hmm. you know. So she, I think she's. We can say hopefully it would. I, I don't know if it's too premature to say that she's a part of like the Andrew Gillum wing, the yeah, Stacey yeah, yeah. Adams wing, the o, Ocasio uh, or Tez wing. Mm-hmm. So I think I, I I think it's I hope it's safe to say that she's a part of this. Uh, progressive wing of uh, Democrats Abrams oh Stacey Abrams sorry yeah. who's Stacey Adams the shoes is it shoes I don't know nothing because whenever I say it I always want to say Stacey Adams I don't know who that is I think it's
0: shoes maybe but Abrams Stacey is, Abrams my is, bad the black woman that we yeah for. yeah you know shout out to Charisse Davis. shout out to the whole chunk nation I was about to say she's a part get, of the whole chunk yes getting representation um shout out to all of the um, oh well I was about to say shout out to all the Cornell law grads but P- probably not. I think they who know they who knows probably what produce... kind of devilment they're up to <laughs> exactly uh you know but shout out to her being shout out in to her upstate. for yes yeah see upstate we be representing sometimes sometimes. Just once. Yeah. <laughs> once a decade or so. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, Sharice Davis, Look her up, y'all. I think she's Sharice for Congress on all social media. Yeah, yeah. And the links will be
1: in the bottom. Yeah, so we're excited to see uh, what she does. Ooh. All right, Nikita, you want to move on along to community
0: contributors?
1: Yes. All right. Wow. So, I think... On a previous episode, we hadn't even been talking about how just, you know, it was just getting a little a little more quiet than we would want to be um, in the community contributors section. Mm-hmm. But as old, uh black folks say, y'all have shown up and showed out. <laughs> so we are excited to say, there's just like an overflow yeah, of contributions like, yeah. from the community. So we are, we're just so ecstatic for that. So shout out and thanks to Gabby. Hey, Sarah. Is that your sorority sister? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Gabby. Emerald. Shout out to Amethyst. Hey. Raleigh, who is so funny and so adorable on Twitter. And shout out to Shiloh, who upped their pledge. Wow. That's a real commitment there. That's a one, two, three, four. That's five patrons. Yeah. And that's that's just on the Patreon. That's just on the Patreon. There's more what Wow damn, y'all really did show up. Yeah. <laughs> so uh PayPal donations, thanks so much to Jeffrey, who made a donation in support of Ethical T shirts. Yes. Shout out to Jeffrey. <laughs> thanks, Jeffrey. And Natalia didn't donate just once, but did a double donation. Donated on a bitch twice. <laughs> Okay, that that is one way to describe that. And Natalia says, "Can't thank you both enough for the amazing content and dedication to community." Thank you, Natalia. You know, I'm doing a heart with my hands right now. Love oh. ya. Okay, we appreciate that. Thank you. And Brandon Can I read from Brandon. I'm you sorry. Just want, I'm just so. I'm just you monopolize the community. I need some community as well. Okay, we'll go ahead. I want you to experience the abundance of community too. Brandon hit us off in the PayPal as well and
0: writes, it's not much, but a sign of gratitude for what you all do. Our struggles are tied. Systems of oppression function as one. So it's only fitting that the community mantra is basically we all we got. Much peace and big love. Love you, Brandon.
1: Brandon. And Brandon has just been uh, just so sweet, always just sending us wonderful, uh, sweet uh, messages yeah. on in, in the DMs. So shout out! Yeah. That was so that was so rich, so yeah. abundant. Yes, thank you. Damn.
0: All right, we also have a new review. Oh, which I'm going to take this time to remind y'all why y'all listening right now, right? Just. Click the heart, the thumbs up, the stars, whatever the platform that you are listening on and give us a rating and a review, you know, like
1: we could really use it. Yes. Uh, It helps other folks discover us. And and it helps move us up. So it, it makes it easier so that other people can find us. And we're not a dirty secret. We don't want to be hidden. <laughs> we want to be out there. Out, right. out there. Proud. Loud. Here. Queer. Exactly. Well, fabulous. I've been standing on this corner for years. Exactly. <laughs> we want to be out. We out. All right. All right. Uh, so
0: our new review is over on the podcast app. Um, from Trillificent. And Trillificent, five-star review. Good stuff. A great listen. Keep it
1: up. And you see... We're not saying you have to write pages right. and pages. You don't have to write an essay. Treleficent said it was Good. short and sweet. Good. Good stuff. <laughs> right, listen. Keep it up. We'll do. That's all that's all you gotta do. <laughs> You're so stupid. Why did you read it like that? Because he's like, Oh, I'm gonna do that. Because I know all mm-hmm. of us are busy. We're all engaged in multiple kind of things this and you think, Oh God, I can never I can't write the long moving yeah. moving thing that I want. Just and I know,
0: I know how y'all listen to podcasts. You cleaning your room right now. You're right. Dri- you're driving to work right now. You're right. Multitasking. Exactly. Don't. It doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out thing. Just, you know, drop us a good stuff. Right. Great listen. Bad keep bitches, up. keep listening.
1: See, <laughs> I wrote one for you. <laughs> Thanks, True Thanks. Ooh. Moving it right on along to the mental moment with... Money.
0: All right. So for the mental moment, this episode, I wanted to do something, you know, in line black feminism. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, something you know. I think we always do like to make sure that we are connecting to the black feminists who came before us to like make it possible for us to have this year right here, um but also that we can use. And today, you know, um, and so I wanted to do something like that and I came across the perfect thing, um, that was actually posted by Chica Nisma on, um, Instagram and if I'm not mistaken, uh, Chica Nisma, it is the co-host of, uh, Bitter Brown Femmes podcast. It's really funny. Okay. Yeah. I'm really gonna have to check funny. it out. Um, and so they posted this and it's an Audrey Lorde questionnaire to oneself. And I just thought it was perfect for this week's episode. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, especially around this time of year, people are like reflecting on oh, like sure. things to yeah. be like grateful for. Uh, and also what what they might lack and are getting ready to bring into their lives for the new year. So this questionnaire was created by Devia Victor. I hope I pronounced your name. I pronounced your name correctly because I'm sensitive about pronunciations of names because my name is Montanique and everybody be fucking it up. So, yeah. So, Divya created this questionnaire and I sort of adapted it to help us heal, create, and motivate. Divya is also a really dope-ass poet. So, like, look them up. Uh, And I'm going to put, obviously, I'm going to put Chicanisma's at in the bottom and also uh, Divya's information. So the Audre Lorde questionnaire to oneself is four questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. So how I think about these questions is like you could definitely like sit with them while you meditate. But something to me that seems so powerful from all of the like Black feminists that I don't know have resonated in my life is that. They went through it, and then they wrote about it so that, like, we could know how they survived it. Yeah. Um, Which is also, you know, something that's so magical about Alexis Pauline Gums, too. So, yeah. So, you can meditate on these questions, but I would encourage you to put something on paper. So, the first question is, what are the words you do not have yet? Or, another way to think about this question, for what do you not have words? Is there an experience that you went through that you still haven't, like, slowed down and taken a breath <laughs> to realize, like, what you would name that or call that? Is there a feeling that you have? I always think of uh, Brent Fires when I think about this, because uh, that word sonder, it's like a, I don't know if it's an a- an actual word or a created word, or what all words are created. But you know what I mean, sure. like, how language works is, like... You don't have a word for an experience and then you create one. So okay. Sander is like this experience of knowing that everybody else's life is just as detailed and expansive and creative and uh, deep as yours. Oh, that's so beautiful. Right. Love that word. So I always think about him with that. So what are the words you do not have yet? That's question one. Question two. What do you need to say? For this question, write or say as many things as necessary. What do you need to say? Number three. Okay, hold on for this question, y'all. Because I feel like it hit me in the stomach when I read it. I sort of reworded it so it can fit like better with what I do with the mental moment and also how I read um, Audre Lorde. What are the cruelties you swallow day by day? that attempt to make you their own until you sicken and die from them, still in silence. I'll read it again in case y'all are like, what? The question is, what are the cruelties you swallow day by day that attempt to make you their own until you sicken and die from them, still in silence? So the reason why I reworded this from its, like, original, um, I guess phrasing uh, on the post that I saw is because this is more of how I take in like Audre Lorde's work. It's sort of like getting away from the sticky parts of oppression that try to like cling to us and make us their own. Um, So like, what is that? What are you ingesting and digesting that actually isn't a part of you, but has tried so hard to make you that? That you don't even like recognize that it's not part of you anymore. And that we're all suffering from those things, right? That will like sicken you, weaken you, and kill you, you know? So, you know. And you know what she said about silence?
1: It's better to speak. I think these questions are derived from that essay, The Transformation of Silence into Language. The Transformation of Silence into Language and Action. Yes.
0: And the last question. We've been socialized to respect fear more than our own need for language. Ask yourself,
1: what is the worst thing that could happen to me if I tell my truth? Right. And I feel like since you've been doing this remixing, I like, to put that question another way, what's the worst thing that could happen if you didn't tell your truth? Yeah. I, I think that that... that has... seems scarier. Yeah. Right? Exactly. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Damn, these are some deep-ass questions. I mean... Audrey wasn't fucking around again. Right. She, she, she wasn't doing no surface bullshit. Exactly. Right. You're right. exactly. It was go big or go
0: home, bitch. Pretty much. <laughs> Damn. I, I imagine somebody being like,
1: Audrey, do
0: you like to write? She like, do I like to write?
1: <laughs> and she probably had a bag full of journals and yeah. notes. Yeah. And she probably tempted it. Wait, what you think all this is? <laughs>
0: All right, Audrey, I get it. <laughs> I don't do it for no fame. I don't do it for no days. <laughs> I'm doing do it for no <laughs> uh, Yes. <laughs> so I'm going to put the questions in the show notes. So be sure to check them. But yes, so those four questions. Should I run through them again? Yeah, real quick. What are the words you do not have yet? What do you need to say? What are the cruelties you swallow day by day that attempt to make you their own? Until you sicken and die from them, still in silence. We have been socialized to respect fear more than our own need for language. Ask yourself, what is the worst thing that can happen to me if I tell my truth? Mm. There I go. The mental moment as remixed by
1: money. Money. (laughs) Wow. There's really got to be a mental moment uh, mixtape. It's got to be dropping soon. <laughs> and we could find we could finance that oh if you my. would drop a generous donation. <laughs> don't forget paypal.me slash queer or patreon.com slash queer Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, that is embarrassing. All right. Oh. Ding 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 ding.
0: And now the bi-weekly word with our womanist worker. Wordsmith Wizard, Nikita, ding 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 ding.
1: Yeah, I just the yeah really just it just ruins it. So at least I had a jingle. Oh, oh you know what? I I'll eat that. That's fine. And it, you know what? It's, it is it really does it really make a difference because you don't know ninety percent of the songs oh my I gosh. Use anyway. Look,
0: I have a whole playlist now. Of, like, songs I have to know in order to not get dragged by the listeners and
1: Diamond and and Nikita. Okay? All right. So, for, if you're friends with me or you follow me on social media, uh, there was... Afro Blazing Guns, pow, pow. Pow, pow. We were snowed in. We got some uh, heavy snow in Syracuse. So, I was snowed in. My apartment stuck in my driveway. So, I was like, (laughs) I feel like binging lesbian films. Oh. and why would you do that you know what they're awful they're so bad they are just atrocious mm-hmm. and like it was a it was such an unhealthy obsession because I was watching it and I was like holy shit, I'm ast- I'm astounded by how bad they are <laughs> and like I just couldn't turn away and I was like these are terrible <laughs> and so I'm just in my apartment emphatically yelling about how terrible these movies are how awful I'm I was like They're so bad. If there's a job, there's all kinds of weird, wild jobs in Hollywood. And I'm like, I want to be like a lesbian sex choreographer. Because, like, I mean, the sex scenes, I'm like, I don't know any lesbians that are like, having sex having that sex way. sex that way, yeah. And they're always just so unnecessarily tragic. I can't be with you. Let's yeah. drink poison. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm just like, this, it's just so absurd. It's not anything even remotely close yeah. to what my life as a lesbian, a queer person. We don't been. have, we don't have any, like,
0: what I would say is like a, a more realistic sketch of, like, lesbian life of, like, hmm, going through high school. Yeah. I think I might be gay. Right. Graduate, go off to college. You meet another person. It was like, I think I might be gay too. Right. You fall in love with each other or not. <laughs> Mess around, figure shit out.
1: And it's just, I don't know. There's just like, there's just no like, I feel like all of them are about like tragic meetings. And I'm mm-hmm, like, where's well, mm-hmm. just like a good mundane. Yeah, yeah. Or just like something interesting. Or like, yeah. can we just do something across genre? Yeah. So, as imagine, we're prone. Imagine like a sci fi lesbian story. Exactly. Yeah. Where is that? Yeah. Right? Or like some kind of neo noir detective drama with some hard boiled lesbian detective. All right, just I'm just throwing things. <laughs> just, just that's really specific. L- Nikita, yeah. <laughs> I may or may not have thought about this. <laughs> anyway, I bet you all are like bitch. What is the word? Well, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> so naturally, I went, I got uh, stuck into a rabbit hole, of or you as did. money
0: says, a wormhole. So I found this. We need to rename them Nikita holes
1: because you just are you done? <laughs> are you contributing to the word or not? Okay. So, I found this book called Sisters in the Life. A History of Out African American Lesbian Media Making. Wow. And I'm just like, I can't believe there's so much. There's enough to have a whole anthology about this wow. shit. Right? I need that book. So, I... Right. I just... I don't even remember what I was doing or how I found this. So, I haven't read it, but I just went through, um like the introduction, and I just went through, like, the table of contents, and I was like, this is something that I need, right? And given how tragic, you know, lesbian film is, and one of the things I didn't even mention is, like, not only are their films bad, but they're, like, overwhelmingly white. This film, this book just goes into that history. So, obviously, I can't get into, like, the nitty-gritty of the book. So, there's just some, like, just from reading the introduction... And just, like, some snippets from, like, the preface and the introduction. Where I was, there's just shit that I just didn't even know. So, first and foremost, the book is by, um, so it's edited by Yvonne Welben and Alexandra Juhasz. So, Avon, I think Avon is, yeah, so she's a filmmaker, director, producer, screenwriter, and she's done so much, and again, you'll find you'll hear more about this in the interview but she's just done so much archival work mm. for um uh, black women in film um in general but also just household has like a wealth of knowledge about black lesbian filmmakers so she mentions i just didn't even know this it's just kind of about so she says from since 1922 when uh A woman named Tressie Souter created uh, a a film called A Woman's Error. Since 1922 to when the book was published, which I think is like 2016, 17, there have been 100 feature films. uh, They've been directed by black women. And this is astounding to me. A third of those films created by, feature films created by black women, a third of those films were produced by black lesbians. That's huge. (laughs) What? Yeah. Isn't that wild? Yeah. So, just some, like, snapshots, some, like, highlights. So, I've never heard of her, but her name is Michelle Parkinson. And, again, this speaks to just how hidden this is, not... Not to, like, Mm -hmm. anything about her talent. But Michelle Parkinson, uh, first black woman to win a a Student Academy Award uh, for a film she created uh, with a fellow student from Temple University. This is in 1974, and that film was called um, Sojourn. But apparently she's just, like, so huge, um, like, a huge black woman filmmaker who's, you know, and not just a black woman, but a black lesbian, right? So I was just like... What? And... And like, there's like this random fact that like I think the highest grossing film from a black woman is some Herbie movie. It's like a that car.
0: Oh yeah,
1: Herbie Fully Loaded or yeah, something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like the highest grossing film from a black woman, and that she's also a black lesbian. What? Yeah, uh, Herbie Fully Loaded, and her name is Angela Robinson. It's a fucking Disney film, <laughs> right? I was just like, wow, that's, that's amazing. But then there's also just these like little interesting um, tidbits about um, just some like historical um, conferences that I think are like really interesting. So like in 1993 at the San Francisco Lesbian uh, and Gay Film Festival, there was a panel. Uh, there, and the the name of the panel, um, there was, like, a, a gathering of, like, black lesbian media makers. It was called Sister Said What? <laughs> <laughs> and so, just to name drop some of the people who were at that, um, at that gathering in 1993, that was, it was folks like... Um, Aaron Birch, Sherry Freelo, Don Suggs, and Yvonne Welbin, one of the editors of this anthology. Uh, But before that, and so the first uh, organized panel of black gay and lesbian uh, video artists was convened at the Gay and Lesbian Studies Conference at Rutgers University, and that happened in 1991. Mm -hmm. And so that was Michelle Parkinson, again, who's this really huge (laughs) and throughout... um, Uh, this anthology people like say it's kind of like I mean I hate to make these kind of comparisons but just for just to capture the gravity of who she was they said like she's kind of like she was like the Spike Lee for black lesbians Mm -hmm, of filmmaking. mm -hmm. Cheryl Dunye, Watermelon Woman. Oh my gosh of course you would. Don (laughs) Suggs and actually to go back to Cheryl Dunye, um, Spike Lee was giving a lecture. It mm-hmm. was like I think it was after uh, "She's Got to Have It" came out, and so at this lecture, um, Cheryl Denny asked him a question because if you uh, if you've ever seen "She's Got to Have It," there's there's a lesbian character in that film. And she's
0: like super predatory.
1: She's she's garbage. Yeah. She's trash. Right. Mm-hmm. She's yeah, just like yeah, just It's a terrible depiction. Yeah. of a lesbian. And so Cheryl Denny asked Spike Lee about like his rep his uh, representation of black lesbians. And so he actually gives like a really shitty answer, but it um, compelled her to like go forward and make films. And so he was basically like, "If you don't think I did a good job at it, then you should just go do it yourself." Basically, and she said, "Nigga, I will." I, she, she was like, <laughs> "Oh, okay, bet." And you know, that's that's where that is. So that's, the rest is history. The rest is history, mm-hmm. right? Um, And in 1995, so this is the largest gathering of black lesbian uh, media artists, was at a broader conference called Black Nations slash Queer Nations. And that happened at a conference in New York. So at that conference, there were people, again, somebody who just seems to just be, we've just been summoning her all all day. Um, Barbara Smith was at that conference. Um, Of course she was. Who else? Um, Urvashi uh, Vaid, uh, who's uh, a longtime time uh, lesbian activist or a queer activist and other filmmakers. I think, I want to say Marlon Riggs um, was there. And then there's also a documentary. I've been trying to track it down. I think... I think it's going to be hard to, like, find it. But I would love to find it. But there's a documentary about this conference that actually happened in 1995. So, and I think the, I think the title of the um, documentary is the same as a conference. So, Black Nations slash Queer Nations. And I would, if anybody... Who's um who knows anything about film or if I think that this happened at CUNY, so if there's somebody at CUNY who has Has it in the archive, um, please let us uh, let us um know how to um get how to find that. And I think that documentary from the conference was produced by um this um this entity called I think it was like Third World um Third World Newsreel Third World Newsreel that's what it was. So if somebody could help us find that, that would be great. And so, actually, all of this work that um, Yvonne—just in one of the introductions, uh, in, the, in one of the introductions I read—they were talking about some um, this uh, woman who had this really interesting like approach to film where she's—I um, mean, you're of course naturally talking about revolution, but there's like there's like a, a herself in the future is trying to like reach back. Um, to her, like, her, herself in the past, which is, like, a really kind of mm-hmm. interesting, like, conceptual thing that, like, mm-hmm. black lesbian filmmakers um, were doing. And I'm just like, I ain't know nothing about this. So, um, if you can, I think that you should um, check out. I'll post links. There's a trailer for the Black Nations slash Queer Nations documentary. I'll post the link of the book, um, Sisters in the Life. And it's just, I just had no idea. I this book. Um, like, wow. And I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah. And like this, the little, you know, discussion I've done right now is, is you know, is totally not going to do any justice. Mm-hmm. So um, if you can, there's um, works in here by. It's so funny because even before we did this interview, I, d- I didn't even mm-hmm. see her name. But naturally, at the end, one of the last contributions is from Alexis Pauline Gums. You got folks like Kara Keeling. Um, who's made contributions. And then there's also, like, interviews. So it's just, it's just, like, I feel like I say it all the time, but I, just a wealth of knowledge, you know, about black lesbian filmmaking, but, like, black queer filmmaking um, mm-hmm. uh, broadly. So you should check that out.
0: This is so amazing. I'm excited. Me too. And And it also made me think of, like, like, yeah, lesbian movies are, like, awful. But to know that there have been, like, black lesbians in cinema for like at least the last 100 years make telling other stories. Yeah. You know, that that feels good and it's just like, "What? Well, feels like it's about time for us to have like one of those really good right. Stories of self. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just
1: a total random thing. I was um looking for like this is like a few weeks ago I was looking for like black lesbian films and I saw this movie. It's from like the 90s. It's like an hour long. Oh, it's called A Love's Tale, L U V Yes, tale it's about two black women you know it's, it's tropey it's you know it's not the greatest but i'm like black women mm-hmm. and they find love it's cute mm-hmm. and you know who's in this movie fucking mc light and i'm just gonna leave it there i she's not playing a lesbian in this film and it's like actually she's somebody who's just so surprised because she finds out her friend is a lesbian and i'm just like that is an interesting role <laughs> of choice for an mc light and i just just go ahead and leave it there. Just leave <laughs> You know, do with that information what you will. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, check that out. Sisters in a Life. Thanks, Nikita. Mm-hmm. I will check it out. Ooh. I'm just I feel like I'm about to scream. Uh, I am too. Okay. 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 I'm just trying to keep it let's, together. Let's not scream. Let's we not don't be wanna, dweebs.
0: Like, bust anyone's eardrums. Okay. But <sighs> hey, there's no way for us to not be dweebs. Okay, so what is the what how do you how do you introduce the person who felt sort of like a fairy, like
1: yeah, like like a fair like a black feminist fairy but, godmother? Yes, yeah, exactly. She's like guiding you and nurturing you along. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what
0: I'm feeling right now. Like, so, as we said at the top of the episode, the topic for this um, episode will be a conversation between myself, money. Nikita, and the High Priestess of Queerwalk, Dr. Alexis Pauline Gumbs. APG? Affectionately called APG <laughs> over here. <laughs> so, okay, I have to stop smiling because I feel like you can hear my smile.
2: <laughs> it's just, good. But I'm
0: just so excited. I don't want to hide the fact that we're so like radiating. I was, I was at the National Women's Studies Association oh, conference, God. and I went up the escalator, and almost one of the first people I saw was Alexis Pauline Gums. And I thought at first that maybe it, I was, like, hallucinating. Some sort of apparition? I'm like, this can't a be... A phantom? Like, how is it that I walk into this conference and she's the first person I see? But it actually was. Her, in the flesh. <laughs> I may or may not have bowed. That is so embarrassing. <laughs> that is so weird. But let me tell you a little bit about why um, we gush over and love APG so much over here. So, based in Durham... North Carolina. Shout out to the Triangle. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, Alexis Pauline Gumbs is a queer black troublemaker, which we can relate to, a black feminist love evangelist, and a prayer poet priestess who also loves alliteration, just (laughs) like me. (laughs) (laughs) APG has a PhD in English, African American Studies, and Women and Gender Studies from Duke University. She's a daughter, a doula, and an Afro-futurist time traveler. Through her archival research, uh, she was actually the first um, person to do archival research with Audrey Lords' um, archives at Spelman. Holy shit! Yeah, I don't know if if she was the first to do June Jordan archival research and mm-hmm. Lucille Clifton, but that's what her dissertation was on. I know because I that it. that that. <laughs> That dissertation is just like... she dissertation. Yeah, okay? yeah. <laughs> if you just you know need something to do, or if you need to feel like encouraged that you can write a dissertation, because that's that's what I do. Right. Um. I just peek in on Alexis Pauline Gumbs.
1: It is. <laughs> dissertation. Oh, just, it was. Just, it was so. It was. It wasn't just like sharp. It, it's also just so moving and just so yeah. beautiful, just so beautifully written. You can tell how much she, like, loves the women she's yeah. writing
0: about. But also that how I feel so much, so much about the dissertation process is, like, you can tell in her dissertation that she was, like, you're not going to tell me I don't know this. Right, right. I know. Right. <laughs> so I know it. Okay. So Alexis Pauline Gums has authored so many, like, so so much, much stuff. stuff. But I'm just going to highlight a few. Uh, so she's the author of M. Archives. Spill scenes of black feminist fugitivity, which I love. It's a um collection of poems. poetry. Yeah. Yeah. She's a co-editor of Revolutionary Mothering, Love on the Front Lines, which that like subheading, Love on the Front Lines, just like echoes in my head so much. And the founder and director of Eternal Summer, the of the Black Feminist Mind, an educational program based in Durham. Durham yeah. Also, like, a Audre Lord, like, boot camp kind of thing. Yeah. She, like, you know, spreads knowledge outside of academia. Yeah, exactly. Um, Love it. And I don't want to leave off that list, even though we're going to talk about it in conversation with her. Um, the Shape of My Impact. Oof, yeah. Which is probably, to me, uh, the... The one of my favorite pieces by her, so I'm yeah. definitely gonna put a link to yeah. it, and not gonna waste any more time unless
1: Nikita wanted to say and no, something. No, that's it. So, uh, without further ado, APG. G- <laughs> <laughs> I, when
0: when reading your stuff, I say APG, and that's, right. that's become <laughs> kind of like
1: yeah. And you know we've uh, we have affectionately called you the high priestess of Queer Walk the yeah. podcast. <laughs>
2: Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. However you all, however you all say it, I really love all invocations of my name that I've, that I've heard so far. So yeah, feel free. All right.
0: Cool. Um, so jumping off of that, we just want to go into our first question for you, which is, I'm, oh gosh, I'm not going to be able to get through this without first saying you're like, just thank you for like everything that you've done. Um, You're just, you're just phenomenal and incredible. And I know it's probably weird. Like, we were at NWSA together and I I see the the way people approach you. I know the way I approached you. (laughs) It's just like you, um, I don't know. I don't know how much you hear it, but like your work has just meant so much to me. And I definitely know Nikita too. So
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, to say that it's a, to say that it's a privilege and honor to, you know, be able to interview to interview you is like a total understatement. So.
2: Uh, well, I feel, I feel really excited to be in conversation with you all. And I appreciate that the work has been useful to you. And I think it really is, is reflection, you know, like, I think everything you're saying about me is like, you recognize it in yourself. And I'm happy that the work is a way for that reflection to happen.
1: Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Okay. <laughs> that
0: we is know, so wonderful. I know. Okay, so from that space, we want to know your origin story. Like, how did you come to be this, like, black feminist, baddie, troublemaker that you are?
2: <laughs> my origin story. So, I, like all of us, was made from stardust. And... Oh.
0: <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> um... Yeah, I think that from a young age, I feel like I was blessed to be in a family with people who were visionary in different ways. Uh, I think the way that I really came to be a black feminist has to do with my mother and, you know, her longtime identification with Angela Davis. Like that was who she oh, wow modeled herself after, that was the person who she saw publicly, who she could say, oh, this is, this is, this is me, you know, this is something that I, that I see in myself that I want to nurture. And so that also meant that I grew up surrounded by books, you know, by incredible Black women authors and saw to see that as a major resource, you know, Mm -hmm. for my, for my life. And I think that's, really just what's still happening. You know, I really do see these particular texts that were made from the bravery and love of Black women and Black queer folks as crucial resources. I know that they have been crucial resources in my own journey to love myself. And I know that that's shareable, you know, because it's been shared with me. So I think that, you know, as they say, I can accomplish all things through Black women. (laughs) Who nurture and bless and you know envisioned me and us before we got here. And I know, you know, my mother has told me that when she was pregnant with me, she would just talk to me all the time and be like, You're gonna do great things in the world, and you're gonna liberate so many people. And I really feel like I live inside of her prayer, but also the mothering energy of black feminist literature. You know, I know that I know that Barbara Smith said we're going to keep these books in print because we know there are going to be people who come along, right, who are going to need them. And Mm -hmm. I'm one of those people. I feel like you are also those people. I know you're definitely in the tradition of Barbara Smith. So yes, I think that, you know, our origins are always before our lifetimes start. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel so blessed to have been born in a time where black feminism already existed yeah you know, like yeah. alice walker had already written the color purple you know like these things had already right. happened yeah and so we get to exist in a world where we get to build on that you know i think mm-hmm, that that's mm-hmm. a huge a huge privilege and a blessing and i just feel gratitude every day all the time that mm-hmm. everything that i do you know, that we get to do together, those of us who are right now living in this time, mm-hmm. is in conversation with that energy that was put out yeah, before yeah. we got here.
0: Yeah. This is... Um, you could jump in here, Nikita,
1: if you I, want. I was about to say, because um, this actually uh, dovetails nicely with yeah. <laughs> um, the next question. Um, you do so much... Um, archival research. So, um, can you just say more about, um, what compels you to do that and why that versus, um, other kinds of work? And like, how do you feel like your
0: research, your archival research, um, like makes this, this space that we're in intergenerational? Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think about it as, as time travel. I was just, there's a piece that just came out, I I think yesterday or today in this, journal called Auburn Avenue, and I wrote a thank you letter to the Auburn Avenue Research Library, which is in Atlanta, where I grew up, and is the first place that I ever did archival research, and um, I was in the 10th grade, and I was doing, I decided I wanted my history paper to be on the Women of the Black Panther Party, which... um, You know, for similar reasons, right? My mom had had like Angela Davis all around the house, and you know i yeah. already I already had read um, that beautiful anthology that James Baldwin introduces if if they come, if they come in the morning. And so I was really interested in, okay, what is what is the history of women in the Black Panther Party? And the Auburn Avenue Research Library had all of the issues of the newspaper, The Black Panther. So I was like, okay. I'm going to do primary research. And I just was like, wait, this is possible? You know, like I can actually mm-hmm. touch history and I can make my own interpretations of what these images mean. And, you know, I was just like, oh, this is incredible. You know, I, I have been the type of person who has loved to listen to um, to elders and to ask people questions similar to you yeah. all. Of course, when I was growing up, I, and I was like a young child, I didn't have podcasting technology, but I, but I certainly <laughs> had a lot of questions and a lot of good conversations. And, and archival research became this other way of accessing that same desire to travel through time, to wonder about experiences that I didn't have directly, and to bring them with me, you know, as part of mm. what what I bring into the present and share also with other people in the present. So yeah, I've never stopped doing archival research since then. I mean, it's something that I've done consistently. I mean, just the type of person who will go to a city and have a layover and be like, what archive is here? You know, like, what is here that I can actually (laughs) look at? Because I do feel, I do feel a responsibility. And I feel like one of my strengths is to be able to bring those things that are in these archival repositories or, as it's developed, are in people's basements or are, you know, other places into our contemporary conversation. I feel like that's mm-hmm. something that has been has been important. And so you guys said sandwich generation, and I, I love that. Something that I heard from um, some people who I think maybe are a half step up or a half generation older than me, uh, like Kara Page and Aisha Shahida Simmons, they talk about a bridging generation, and so I th- mm. I think about that bridging work and how bridging has been such a powerful metaphor for women of color feminists. Sure. Yeah. I, th- I think about what does it take to create create those bridges and to be able to say, OK, mm. we're facing this right now. These are questions that have been considered before by Black feminists. And yes. even though they were facing a different historical moment and even though they may have used some different language than what we would use right now. Right.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: They were so persistent about making those legacies portable by saving mm-hmm. what they saved, by publishing what they published, by keeping what they kept in print, in print. And, and I want to honor that by acknowledging that we are always an intergenerational conversation. We are dealing with um, realities that are cyclical, and we also do have access to generations of genius in every moment. We do have mm-hmm. access to that. And I think that the archives are one way. They're one part of what I, I feel like is my spiritual practice of Black feminism, of kind of like returning, returning oh, yes. to the source. I
1: love that. Returning but, to the source, yeah.
2: You know, and it's not the only avenue to the source. Obviously, listening mm-hmm. to people is is a way. There's spiritual practices that are part of that, you know, access to the source. There are mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. infinite access points to the source. But I know that what's been really rewarding and generative to me and I think has to do just with part of my particular role has been has been the touching of material artifacts has been the interpretation of of written and printed material and I, I love playing that role I think we all have that like I think about I think about um, in my community in Durham, like particular DJs, right? Who they have an archival mm. relationship to sound that makes something mm. possible for us, you know, and they take that yeah. role very seriously and we take that role very seriously because yeah. we we exactly. don't go to yeah. we don't go to everybody's right. event, you know, like there's, pra- yeah. Particular, yeah. <laughs> there's particular <laughs> yeah. there's particular folks who we know what they're accessing is giving us is giving us what we need to be present in the moment in a particular way. And I see right. myself as a, a different version of that role, and I think yeah. really everyone is in a different version of that role, right? They have their access yeah. points, they have their expertise, they have something that they or could have something that they're passionate about, mm-hmm. and they bring yeah. that to the wider collective of our community, and it's such a blessing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Ooh, wow. I know. I'm just like, what you be listening to, alexis <laughs> 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 oh, I'm Give so, us the playlist. I would say that's I'm, not a rhetorical uh, <laughs> question either. Yeah, you know, because we have this <laughs> generational thing over here where Nikita loves the throwbacks, and she knows all the songs that my favorite
2: songs sample. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> that's such a beautiful thing, though. I lo- I love that. I, I sometimes I'm like my my secret, not so secret aspiration is like to be your favorite black feminist DJ's favorite black feminist DJ. You know, like I I really. I love, I love black feminist DJ practice and feminists of color DJ practice. I mean, I love, I think about Lene Denise and I think about DJ Cutting Candy and I I think about um, people in our communities who are doing incredible educational work in that way. Um, Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I think about my father too, because my father was a person who really wanted to be sure I knew that history of sampling. Mm -hmm. Like I remember when I was in high school, I would just, you know, different songs would come on the radio and he was like, now you know, this sample is from when I was in high school and it was it was such and such (laughs) song and it was this. And I was like, oh, you know, another (laughs) intergenerational practice, right? (laughs) I'm into it, you know, and and I yeah, I love I love that. So I listened to I listen very eclectic eclectically i do think of it as part of my time travel my partner will tell Mm -hmm. you i'm so i I really do curate a lot of different um musical energy because i i do think it helps me be present in the moment
1: but right now i'm listening to a lot of alice
2: coltrane um i'm listening to uh uh hi hiatus coyote i'm listening to like that there's um there's a lot there's a lot of listening that um is part of I feel like being able to tap into the vibrational work that cultural producers, especially black cultural tradu- producers and indigenous cultural producers have been keeping alive through their musical practice. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. You know, last last episode, was it last episode? I talked about like mindfulness and like just being present oh, right. through trap music and like how I do that and I was just You know, this just affirms me that, you know, when I twerk something for the ancestors, it really is for
2: the ancestors. Yes, twerk for the ancestors. I know that's right. (laughs) I know that's right. Um, Because because they wanted us to have access to all of our chakras, right? They wanted us to have access to that core and the wisdom that's there. And I absolutely think there is something meditative and repetitious happening in trap Mm -hmm. music, not to say that it's not at the same time being co-opted for for reasons beyond our, beyond our grace, you know, but, but I think that we also get to reclaim what is, Mm -hmm. what is in there and it it wouldn't travel around the planet in the way that it does without those core technologies that were developed by our ancestors.
1: So right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But why, you've talked a lot about you strongly, you know, claim yourself like in like the black feminist tradition, so why specifically black feminism?
2: Why specifically black feminism? I think that black feminism I feel like black feminism is a prayer that I am embraced by and that I'm directly part of. And I also think that it's a site it's a site of my of my self-love. And so it's a site that I will always return to. I mean, I think that part of my origin story obviously has to do with my mom and my mom being like, here's Antizaki Shange's for colored mm-hmm. girls, like check this out, like, you know. And and yes. that that's really core. Yeah. I also had the blessing Grashing. of being part of a young women's writing group at what is now the oldest feminist bookstore in North America, Caris Books and More, also in Atlanta, Georgia. And really being physically surrounded by the work of self-identified black feminists Mm. like Audre Lorde and, you know, the work of learning about the work of kitchen table press just changed my entire life. Like it's, and I think Mm. that there's really, for me what I say, black feminist as often as I can because what they meant when they said it was such an expression of futuristic love. Like, I feel hailed by it. I feel called by it. I feel held by it. So I just love it. You know, like, it's it's almost like how how I say the names of people that I love and I have that feeling. So I love to say their mm-hmm. names because it's associated yeah. with just all of this incredible love. That's why I say black feminism as sure, much as possible. Yeah. You know, like, that's why my partner and I we do our projects, and it's like black feminist film school, black fem like black feminist everything. <laughs> you know, like, like that. That's um,
1: yeah, yeah. That's yeah. why
2: I I feel like what I mean when I when I practice black feminism is the same thing that I mean when I say I'm a queer black troublemaker, and it's the same thing that I mean when I say I'm a love evangelist, you know, like all of those things actually mean Mm -hmm. the same thing, but black feminism, like I'm just, I'm not over it. I don't think I'm ever going to get over it. Like the fact that these particular women who decided to call themselves black feminism in that naming of themselves made a commitment to me before I was even born, you know, like I, I know Mm -hmm. that to be true. So, It's um, Mm -hmm. so that that's part of why, even though I don't feel an insistence Mm -hmm. that, you know, everybody in my contemporary moment should also identify as a black feminist or I don't necessarily feel like everything that I see as part of that watershed blessing that black feminism made possible needs to necessarily be called black feminism. You know, like I'm not um, I'm not committed to to the exclusion of other forms of love that they must somehow recognize what I recognize about black feminism. But for me though, Mm -hmm. it is just, I feel, I feel like I am touching that doorway. I feel my heart opening. I feel that like the vibrational magic that happens when I say the name black feminism is healing and loving towards myself you know it's it's it really allows me to access this infinite possibility and it may be that for someone else they would say jazz right and jazz is is, is what is what it is what causes them yeah
1: and in that yeah. sense mm-hmm. jazz is
2: not different from black feminism in in terms of what it's making possible for that person except for me it's black mm-hmm. feminism <laughs> so um so yeah, yeah. i i um I think that Black feminism is a specific political commitment. I do see it as a spiritual legacy and I, I see it as a portal, a portal for so much love. And I think mm-hmm. in, its spe- mm-hmm. in its specificity, it allows me to have a level of depth and accountability that is not the same if I just said, oh, all general things that are good, you know, or all, <laughs> you know, like that. Yeah. that specificity actually gives me a space to practice and be rigorous with myself and and i think that that's that's great Mm -hmm. but it's never an exclusive commitment yeah that
0: that just reminded me of um barbara smith saying like one of the like biggest gifts of black feminism is that it just makes it a little bit easier to be black Mm -hmm. and female you know it's like yeah yeah, that like thinking about us before we
2: even existed. Yeah, a like Barbara that. Smith specifically. Oh, wow. Black, yeah, Black feminism is everything. everything. Black feminism is yeah. everything, and <laughs> Barbara Smith specifically. Barbara Smith. You know, like I, I think that there is. Yes. If, if I had to name one person who really hustled to make it so that the words that I would need to be who I am would be accessible to me during my yeah. lifetime. Yeah. She was the person yeah. who really held held yeah. that vision. She right. was like, no, these books are going to stay in print. No, we're going to create mm. structures so this can circulate. Yeah. No, we're going to publish the combined yeah. River Collective Statement so in as many possible publications as we'll publish it because it, is, yes. it is go- 40 years <laughs> from now, it is going to be accessible to these people yeah. who, who aren't around yet. Exactly. And, and, she, and she did it. Yeah. Um, she prioritized it over so many things. That she could have been doing with her gifts and her talents yeah. that we obviously know that she has, yeah. and I feel yeah. so grateful. Yeah. And and that to me, it, yeah. if only that is enough reason for me to say black feminism at least five times a day. <laughs> you know, like,
1: if all, if all, if all, exactly. right. That <laughs> is so right. <laughs> that,
2: so alone, that, that alone, just that alone, yeah. and, and there's so
1: many
0: other reasons, yeah. but that alone is enough. <laughs> so. So, in following that, like, what most excites you or animates you about Black feminism today? Oh, there's so much to
2: be excited about. I mean, I, <laughs> I feel so happy that Black feminism is so core to to the movement for Black lives, that it's so core to mm-hmm. the, the ways that people are creating collectivity um, in this particular moment. I, I don't take that for granted. You know, I think that there are times where... Mm-hmm. People might have said, "Oh, black feminism is something that, because of the um, because of the dissolution of particular organizations, or because of the extreme political repression that happened in the 1980s and 90s, that it would be something that was only in the theoretical realm and like only in the academy or even only in um, Mm -hmm. the world of letters." And and it's not, you know, it's it's actually in the collectives that people are creating it's actually in the byp chapters and it's on the jackets and it's on yes. the t-shirts and it's you know and it's right, <laughs> and, it's, so and it's yeah. in the healing circles and it is um living as a way for people to be accountable to each other as a way for people to love each other and to mm-hmm. grow and i'm so grateful for that because to me it it proves that it is what it is you know it proves that it is what it said it was and yeah. um yeah right. and it means wow. that those bridging generations, right, that have, that you talked about that have existed in between have actually been effective, you know, such that even though black feminism is not a term created within, within these particular generations, it resonates so deeply that it can move us to action. You know, I, yeah. I love that. And that makes me so excited because then that means also it expands the legacy and the history of what black feminism is. You know, for like what it means to be accountable right. as a black feminist, the leadership of black trans women as black feminists gets to be a part of that history and, mm. and we get to do that. You know, like we get to love each other in that way. And Yeah. Just just yeah. all of it. Like the the fact that black feminists practice digitally and yeah, black feminists trap yoga. You know, like all of it gets gets to mm-hmm. <laughs> gets to exist <laughs> is is so beautiful and it makes the bridging possible. You know, I'm not saying that I won't be mad if generations into the future we live in, we live in the world that black feminists envisioned and it's not called the black feminist world. That's okay. As long as that world exists, I'm Mm -hmm. good. (laughs) You know that like I'm not parsing terms, but I think that black feminism is carrying so much possibility, accountability, rigor, and, um, and the benefit of gener- generations of training of what it really does mean to accept the complexity of being impacted by multiple systems of oppression, but also being deeply tied to survival, to creativity, to right. a deep accountability and refusal to give up on our communities. I mean, I, I think it's I think it's a beautiful mm. thing. Yes, yes,
0: yeah, exactly. I feel like. Either we ordered these questions so right or, right. You, you know, it could just be that you are the magical being that we know you to be. Exactly. Like, so, <laughs> I think I'm going to go with the latter. <laughs> Let us just say all of it's true. All, all, of, it's all true. of the above. Because um, <laughs> we were actually, like, just... The, the next question was about, like, the uses and misuses of Audre lore, essentially. And, um, like, Ooh. I know... One of one of your pieces that Ooh. I just can't... In the beginning of The Shape of My Impact, you talk about survival. And I feel like I have I have not said thrive ever since ever I read it. Ever <laughs> since
1: we came in contact with that article. Yeah. Oh, no. It's, it's,
0: it's team survival over here all the way. Uh, but so much of that is like the way... The way that Audrey used and talked about survival... And how you just use the word, right? It means so much more than what like people give it credit for. And so that, that question specifically, but I guess a little bit more broadly, how, how do you see as, as like the scholar of Lord, like how do you <laughs> see people using Audrey in ways that,
1: that, um, may, may either like sell it short, either sell or, it short, might be, I mean, I don't necessarily want to say, like, counter, but maybe not in, like, the spirit or, like, you know, the vision of her work. Take and, into the full account her life yeah. and, like, what she was
0: talking about.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that, um, first of all, y'all should you I mean, you can use the word thrive.
1: <laughs> but
2: um, <laughs> <laughs> It's a beautiful word. It's a beautiful word. And it's just not the opposite of survival. Like, it's just another word. Um Right, and I think mm-hmm. I think it's wonderful. I think it's a luscious word. I just have um, what I really take issue with is, is people discounting survival and and the term survival. It was a key mm-hmm. term for Audre Lorde. Mm-hmm. It was a key term for June Jordan. It was a key term for the yes. members of the Kibaki River Collective. It was a really important right. term um, for so so many folks. Right for the, for the women. In uh, yeah. the first lesbian of color organization, Salsa Soul Sisters, they were talking about survival. Like it, it's um, mm-hmm. it's something that I don't want us to lose, and I think that my um, why I why I think it's worth saying is that I am suspicious in a society that perpetuates systems of oppression by enforcing an ahistorical way of being in the moment that it's important to remember that survival means that we live in the presence of our ancestors. We live in the presence of those who have come before. Right. And I definitely think that, um, for example, the quote unquote historical amnesia of a place like the United States of America that doesn't want to acknowledge a a founding genocide, for Mm -hmm. example, it's very convenient that the word survival should be pushed to the side. Right. (laughs) Um, so that so that's what I'm really pushing back on. I think that it's wonderful to thrive. I think it's cool. You know, Janelle Monáe talks about the thrivals. And I think thriving is excellent and wonderful. It's just that survival is a part of that, you know, and like the, the, the abundance of my life in the present moment has to do with survival. It has to do with those who have gone before. It has to do with those histories and legacies. Like that's actually what's so luscious about my life. And what, what literally allows me to thrive? You know, like what literally allows me to live an abundant life where what I get to do every day is to create in the energy and vibration of a Black feminist universe. It's, it's wonderful. So um, so it's no shade to the word thrive. It's just also all, lo- all love, you know, all love, all melanin, all sunlight to the word survival. So, um, so there's that. I think that on one hand, I just love... For the same reasons, you know, for the same reasons that, that, you know, my niece, some of her first words were Fannie Lou Hamer, you know, like, and just, just mm-hmm. say it, you know, like, <laughs> just, like, just, like, just say their names, just say Audrey Lorde, like, you know, the, um, mm-hmm. the newscaster who was, who used a quote by Audrey Lorde to talk about like the first gay, openly gay person in the NFL. And, and my, my dad was like, right. they're talking about Audrey Lorde on ESPN, you know, like, that um, <laughs> I don't think you can say her name enough times. So, you know, say it, say it, say it, say it, say it. Um, I think that for, for Audre Lorde, for other Black feminist foremothers who were tokenized during their lifetimes, yeah. mm-hmm. I think that it, it is important that their invocation not be used instead of the important actions of listening, let's say, to black women, <laughs> to black people. You know, like I, I, th- I think mm. it's, in, it's important that people don't use um, any excuse, including the invocation of a historical figure, in order not to account for the complexity of being in yeah. the present with difference. Because Audre Ward was right. committed to that in her life, right, that we actually right. are gonna grapple with our different differences as black women, right. as black queer folks, as as yeah. folks in the academy, like all all over the place and in movement, mm-hmm. and so I think I I wouldn't I wouldn't want to shut down anyone's uh, study of Audre Lorde. I think we all need to mm-hmm. study Audre Lorde. I would love to live in a world where just Audre Lorde is known and studied. Um, I think that the best tribute, in my opinion, to the bravery of her life and to her specific choices to make her emotional reality and what she was learning from her most complicated and most difficult emotions visible through her writing is to do that for ourselves, you know, like to really take Mm -hmm. the opportunity to look at not only what um, feels unifying about our configurations, but like, what are the differences and what is there for us to learn there? What does it take for us to have space to be vulnerable enough to learn from our emotions. You know, like what, what does that look like? And that's something that Audre Lorde made very clear. She made it clear to her biographer. She made it clear in in many spaces. Shout out to Alexis DeVoe, biographer of Audre Lorde and just amazing writer. Oh, I just love Alexis DeVoe. So glad we have the same name. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I'm so glad that she's in my life. I really, really love her so much. Um, she made it very clear that that vulnerability was a major resource. And Mm -hmm. I think that when people use Audre Lorde as a way to try to make their intersectionality above reproach and beyond question or Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. defend themselves from having to do the hard work of being vulnerably transformed by difference as we are in every moment, I think that that's a missed opportunity. And I think that the best honoring of her legacy is in our own honest vulnerability and our own creations of structures and supporting each other and doing the rigorous work of learning from our emotional reality of learning from our failures of opening ourselves up to the possibility of being different. I mean, I think about it, you know, this concept of mothering ourselves, which for me comes from, Audre Lorde's essay, Eye to Eye, Black Women, Hatred and Anger.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, It's the other, you know, like what's mm-hmm. the other self that I'm not yeah. being? What's the other reality that I am still afraid of, even in all my work I've done to, to make another reality imaginable to myself? What is the other mm-hmm. that's still there? And that was the rigor of her work. And that is something that she brought to so many different spaces in her life. And so I, that's my hope. I hope that people don't. Quote Audrey Lloyd and be like, "Our work is done," because that's yeah, not right. <laughs> that, that's actually, it's actually yeah. just the very, very beginning. Yeah, yeah.
0: And like I, I often think about you know her being like used or quoted in these spaces where they don't even fuck with Black lesbians. So mm-hmm. it's like it's like this. There's, there's you know like like whatever work you're doing is not reflected in the space to be inclusive of. Like women, like
1: Audrey, right. But Like the people in her, um, like who have all of us who have come after her, right?
0: Right? You know? Like her mm-hmm. daughters,
2: you know? <laughs> like how do you include?
0: Yeah, how do you include them in
2: your work? Yeah, yeah. and and to be alive, you know, like like I, mean, it, I think it, it is it is appropriate to be suspicious of institutions who would rather who would rather be in relationship to a dead black person than a living black yeah. person. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, yeah. and I I think that. That says a lot about the actual goals of the institution, what they think will preserve the institution, how afraid they are of the living challenge that a black Mm -hmm. feminist life presents. And um, some of those same institutions absolutely would not want, would not want Audre Lorde on their board raising raising the issues that she would raise, you know.
0: yeah. What what did you say? They would uh, rather have them be, like, dead right. namesakes than yeah. live troublemakers yeah. and faculty meetings?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 I just want to say the shape of my impact has had... The, the impact of the shape of my impact <laughs> has been widely felt here in oh Syracuse. Oh, my gosh.
0: Like... I've I've read that like as I was getting like forcefully pushed out of this really racist, really homophobic department. And mm. it just it just like reassured me that like I'm not crazy, that right. these institutions have been doing this to black queer women for generations sure. before yeah. me. And like that's that's actually what their like very function is. Sure. And so Nikita, I know you had a question about that.
1: Yeah, and so like something that money and I um um, we're talking about is so we, I mean, like we just talked about, like institutions, how they, you know, treat Black women, Black queer women, and, um, Black lesbians, and how you, you know, said that they would rather have them dead. So, how have you, um, in your writing, um, been able to s- survive? Um, um, something that we notice is that you are really um is do you sleep? Because you are just always producing some kind of wonderful black feminist magic all the time. So I think that's like a twofer. How <laughs> how have you been able to sustain and how has your work um been able to yeah. um, have you been able to sustain your work in these
2: conditions? Thing number one, I definitely sleep. I love sleep. Um I sleep at night, I take naps during the day. I sleep a lot and I I like never use any caffeine. You know, like I I just sleep and sleep is so wonderful. Uh my my Nikita's sister. hiding her coffee right now. No, no, just just me personally. I'm not I'm not against I'm not against coffee, you know, but for me, sleep, like I just I just sleep. Um, my sister comrade Alma LaVon Rice says naps are reparations and mm-hmm. I really <laughs> yes. love that I'm like look my ancestors really worked very hard so I am going to sleep yes. and I'm going to love it and then I'm going to dream and then my ancestors are going to teach me all sorts of stuff in my dreams mm-hmm. you know like this is like important so that's important I mean I, I, I thank you I, I, I'm proud to be a prolific you know, person generating black feminist usefulness in the world. But I, I don't want it to seem like uh, that's like a sacrificial stance. I definitely, yeah. I definitely sleep when I'm tired, period. And um, and thanks to Barbara Smith, I also eat at all recognized mealtimes, no matter what. <laughs> because she, she when Barbara Smith was on the city council, when um, my partner and I interviewed her for the mobile homecoming project, and she was like, Mm-hmm. it's a recognized mealtime. So now that's a term that we use. We're like, oh, it's a recognized mealtime. Like we... <laughs> so that that comes first. You know, like I think it is this question of, this question of survival really just, it's important to sleep. It's really important to be able to eat good mm-hmm. food and to sleep well and to be able to, you know, do the healing and processing and um, keep the keep the boundaries that are necessary to be able to sleep well and, to eat something that is nourishing for me, so that that's the first thing. That's the first thing that allows me to survive and sustain and be be able to. I take it very seriously. Being a vessel for this infinite ancestral love, you know, that belongs to all of us, and there there's a part of it that I know is meant to flow through me, and so that means I have to be keeping myself clear, which means I do need to be well rested, which means, you know, I have my water bottle right next to me, (laughs) Um, which means I do need to be well hydrated. And I take that very, very seriously. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and I also do write every single day, period, every single day. And I write first in the day. And I generally wake up very early since I'm so well rested <laughs> um, <laughs> since i don't I don't like usually stay up very late, but I wake up very early, sometimes early enough to take a nap like before most people even got up yet so um, mm-hmm. so I love the early morning and I love um, writing first because I feel like it really teaches me something mm-hmm. and guides me, and I also. Had to learn some years back that um, though I write every day, I also don't give myself the pressure that everything I write should be published. You know, like, I, I write yeah. every day and I do that because that's my that's a key part of my spiritual practice. It's my it's a key part of my tuning in and listening. And because I do tune in and listen every single day first. I do feel a lot of clarity about how to share the parts of what comes through that are to be shared with the community. And there are other parts that come through and it's just like, this is for Alexis, for your life. Like, this is something that you need to mm-hmm. you need to know today. Or this is, you know, just for a specific conversation with your sister or, you know, this collaborator. You know, so, sometimes it's super specific and sometimes it's for all of us. Like, I remember the day, I remember the morning that I wrote Shape of My Impact and I knew I was like, oh, oh. we need this. Like, there's a whole lot of us yeah. <laughs> who <We> need this. <laughs> you I, just wrote that in the morning. Okay. So I, tell, tell I, me about that day, please. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I personally needed it, but also like mm-hmm. I I knew that we needed it, you know, and I had, um, yeah. I remember when I wrote that, I had watched the um, Audrey Lloyd, the Berlin Years documentary mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. really it was just supposed to be a review of that movie. Um, but of course I caught the spirit and I was like, listen, this, this is yeah. like, this is something that needs to be said about survival because, um, yes. it, it just needs to be said. And, and people, I, I knew multiple people in my own life who, who felt that like exactly what you said, that whatever their struggles were within the Academy, that it was about them personally and that they didn't have any other choices or options. And I was like, you know right. what? Listen, our ancestors already went through this and they yeah. told us about it, you know, and like and the evidence mm. and the documents are there and um wow. so it's something that not only did I need to remember that though the university was not designed to love me, the universe does. I needed that clarity for myself, but mm. I also knew it was something that we needed more collectively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so I, I think that that's. Um, I think that there is a commitment that I have to be present every day to what is coming through, and there's also a non attachment that I have, and a freedom to know that just because I I know that I need to write every day, I don't feel pressed like that. I need to um, share everything that I write. It just happens yeah. that since I'm writing so much, there is a, there's a fraction of it that does need to be shared, <laughs> and that yeah, um, yeah. that ends up still being a oh, lot. That's so important. But, um, I think that that, mm. that clarity is is really important because there was a time uh, while I was still in graduate school that I noticed that I was that everything I was writing was for external audiences immediately.
1: Mm. Yeah, you know, and that yeah. it was like. Yeah. You know,
2: a faculty person going to read this or it's going to be on this blog or right, right. the editors of such and such journal. Sure. Like, you know, all of that was and that was every day. And I was mm-hmm. like, but when when I started my practice of writing as a young woman, I was writing for myself and I was learning from that. And I was able to play and like to be mm-hmm. free in that and to make decisions about what I shared when. And that was why I was writing. I wasn't writing just to explain things to other people. I was actually writing to again, like we said before, to connect to the source and to grow and to be alive and to have a way to express things that were invisible to me until the act of writing. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh.
0: Wow. Well. I mean, that just makes this dissertation seem so, like, small (laughs) and easy to finish. (laughs) Like, yeah. You can do it. (laughs) You can do it.
1: (laughs) Well, the High Priestess of Queer Rock has just told you you can finish your dissertation. Yes, you can. Now I gotta do it. (laughs) This can
2: happen. You don't have to. And you can. Yes. Oh, yes. yeah. So accurate, right? That's so right.
1: Wow.
2: So, um... Like, when I... I feel so loved by Fannie Lou Hamer.
0: Yes. Auntie (laughs) Fannie.
2: I mean, I just feel so personally loved by her. And, you know, she didn't, she didn't know anything about no, no APG (laughs) in the pipeline. (laughs) Like she, you know, she certainly, she was mentoring June Jordan Mm -hmm. and therefore blessed all of us Mm -hmm. through, through that work. But, um, but I think about what it means to feel loved by by what people do, and I feel so like this is this is what I am a, an evangelist for. Like this is my witness. This is like you know I raise my hand and I'm like, ah oh, yes, <laughs> this um, the fact that love is not bound by space or time. It's not even bound by knowledge or intention. Like it's so big. It's so big that I can feel loved by Fanny Lou Hamer every single mm-hmm. day, you know, and she did not know that yeah. specifically, yeah. but she was taking loving, loving and brave yeah. actions mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Right. And so um, so I, I'm grateful when people feel loved by the work, because for me, I understand that um, I understand that there is like some battles to be won and there's some reclamation to do in terms of just um, how genius Black feminists Mm -hmm. are. But I don't feel like I need to prove that I'm a genius. I feel like the purpose of it is just for the love to continue to flow Mm -hmm. through. And the the love is a lot older than me. And it's going to live a lot longer than me or my name or, you know, the term Black feminist. And that's as it should be. Mm -hmm. So... So yeah, I just invite people to feel loved by, by the aspect of the work that I've done. And and I have to be rigorous with myself because there's just more love to come through that I haven't even found mm-hmm. ways to put words mm-hmm. to. And so that's why I'm waking up every morning and I'm going to write Oof, again.
1: Damn. damn. <laughs> right. I, I feel like this is like Black Feminist Church right now. I just need <laughs> <I> like <laughs> to scream and shout. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, so just to, um, I guess, I mean, in the similar vein of things that uh, we've been talking about, but to switch gears a little bit, I remember I first found out about you through this interview that you did, uh, with Mark Anthony Neal on Left of Black. And he was, and you were Ooh. talking about the work that you were doing, um, with the, uh, what is it? The, the eternal S- summer of the black feminist mind and then the queer, uh, the black queer mobile homecoming project. And one of the first things I thought what, like, I, my mind was blown because yeah. I was like, how did this person know that she could do that, do these things? <laughs> because these things do not feel possible. And I always mm-hmm. think about, this quote, you know, it's like, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism. And like the reason why that quote, it always sticks with me because it's like under the society that we live in, we never feel like there are alternatives. Things are possible. Yeah. Right. So how did you, because like you got this. You know, PhD wrote this really amazing, I'll, I'll never forget, at the same time I found that interview. It was a Friday night and I just spent all night going through that Look dissertation. At, yes. But I was just like, how, oh did gosh. This, how did this person get this PhD and still is like not be like beholden to this academy but yeah. to also just do something that I didn't even think it was possible mm-hmm. to do. So how did you envision these things and then know that you could set forth and bring these things like make these things materialize? Because there there there's no there's no job position <laughs> for <laughs> who's going to lead the, the black oh, yeah. you know the Audrey Lord, you know
2: black feminist summer <laughs> school. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um uh, that is such a good question. I feel like I have had that same question, you know, like how, how kitchen table mm-hmm. press, how, how could that exist? You know, like yeah, Anna Julia Cooper running, uh, running a school for adults yes. out of her living room. Like how, you yeah. know, like Alexis DeVoe creating these salons. Like there's there so many, for me, there's so many, there's so many precedents for what i do and what my partner and i do that i i don't feel that it's i don't feel that it's unimaginable or it's at least not more unimaginable you know than what what black women have been doing um and and so i think that it's um it's because i stay in the constant presence of just black feminist miracles that it doesn't seem it in fact is completely appropriate that i would just Manifest Black Feminist Miracles, right? Like that. Like that's what, what. That's black what it is, and yeah. I I want. I think about. I asked. um Wow. I think I had just defended my dissertation, and they had this symposium at University of Maryland called "Still Brave," and it was a. So, do you all remember this? There was a celebration of the anthology yeah, "Still Brave" yeah. that, was, that was celebrating. Um, but some of us are brave, and yeah. I went there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got two speeding tickets going there. I was like, <laughs> I have to be there. Um, and I asked, I, I was doing the Eternal Summer podcast, and I asked the people there, what keeps you brave? Like, I asked Akasha Hall and Barbara Smith and Patricia Bell Scott, who were the original editors of, mm-hmm. of the anthology, but mm-hmm. some of us are brave. And then I asked, like, everybody else who was there, so many amazing black feminists who were at that gathering. And they all said amazing things. So y'all can listen to that and feel free to excerpt it if you want to. But specifically, Akasha Hall said, what keeps me brave is creating Black women's studies. You know, like it didn't exist, you know, yes. and like she said, what, what keeps me brave is the, is the fact that I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't see an example of someone else doing it that made it seem possible. Mm -hmm. And yet I still did it and learned to do it by doing it. And that keeps me brave. Like the fact that she did that Mm -hmm. continues to keep her brave decades later. And I love that. And I feel, I feel the same way. Like not to say that it's not brave to do what we do or to, um, to believe in our communities to support us. Beyond um, the limitations of existing endowed structures. Damn, yes. It is brave. And I mean it's also brave to not do it. Like it's also brave to not do it and think you're gonna be okay, mm. you know, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And, well, I don't know. And and maybe maybe it's maybe it's not brave, but it's at least equally risky. Mm. It's, yeah, yeah, it's that's a risk, right. yeah. Oh. To think that, like you know, staying
0: in, staying in these like already existing things will keep you safe in any kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's an it's an it's an equal risk, mm-hmm. and so like I think I think that you know, if I thought if I thought there was a way to live as a black woman in this society without risk, I would have been completely ignoring what black feminists have taught me, mm-hmm. right? Like I w- I w- and also just completely ignoring the circumstances of, of our society. Sure. If I thought there was a way to do it with no risk, right. mm-hmm. that that would be, um, in my opinion, that would be a delusion and that would be me choosing not to benefit from my teachers. Yeah. So if there is going to be risk, why should it not be all oriented towards miracles? Mm-hmm. You know, why should it not be just the most audacious version of love that we can imagine and then teach us to imagine an even more audacious version of love. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, I think that it's, it's, um, it's not to say, and I would never say that it's um, that people shouldn't come at this from all directions. I think that there's beautiful work that people do inside academic spaces that takes some stuff that I don't have. Like it takes some skills of diplomacy that I would, don't think I'll ever develop. <laughs> you know, it, it takes, it takes um, and I have a lot of respect for that. And I've directly benefited from that mm. for many years. And so I don't want to disrespect folks who decide that, they, to think that they can do transformative work in such a repressive space mm-hmm. is also a major act of faith. It is also, you know, just incredibly brave. And then, And then people who have integrity around that and do it and those people do exist. Yeah. That's incredible, and I love that. Like I think about Joanne Gabbins. right? I think about I think about Farrah Griffin. I think about Alondra Nelson. Like I, there are Black feminists who have worked in institutions for their whole careers, mm-hmm. and they have made things possible for me personally and for generations of us that um, that are uh, equally worth honoring. Mm-hmm. And if we look at our history, we also know that we do have to be outside of and inside of and around the back of yeah. and up underneath all and jumping over <laughs> yeah. all of the institutions in order to create a strategic collectivity that can honor what we're here to do. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, th- I think that's important. And I do think part of my role is to make it visible for folks who have been trained very quickly, by the way, within like one or two generations that, there's like this that there is even a path that there is even a path to tenure yes. for a person of color. Yeah. That's, that's not, not something that has ex, that has existed for two lifetimes. Right. It's so existed right. for one lifetime. Yeah. So 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 real. for people to think that's the only thing right. when it is only existed for 20 minutes exactly. <laughs> is yeah. is 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 really only evidence to the levels of repression that people are experiencing right. in these in these institutions. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not a historical truth. It's not um, It's not a intergenerationally passed down right. form of safety. It's it's a, a recent this is new, and yeah. really w- well propagandized lie. Mm-hmm. And that's fine because we have a lot of means of propaganda. Yeah. And we have this podcast yeah. and we have the different blogs mm-hmm. and we can show alternate modes of life because we live them. Yeah. Black feminist intellectuals have been living in this multiple way for longer than the term intellectual has existed much longer so than the term real. black feminist has existed. Yeah. You know, you talk about, you talk about the midnight schools where people were teaching each other how to read. Yeah. <laughs> you talk, yeah. you talk about, um, we could just go back and back and back. Mm-hmm. So, so our, the impulse that that causes anyone to decide that they want to do this work is older is older than Harvard. Mm. It's mm. older than any of the institutions that would claim to colonize that knowledge. Yeah. And when we can tap into that, mm. we just have different options. If we want to take over Harvard, that could be one option. Yeah, we could and do we- there's infinite There's infinite other options. Right. right,
0: yeah. Yes. Wow. I mean, you just said so many words in there, but I just love the way <laughs> you talk about love. Yeah. You talk about love in such a big way. Um that it just has me thinking about the way people use love too, similarly yeah. to the way people use survival, as if it's sort of like this small thing <laughs> or like only confined to like intimate relationships. Sure, sure, sure. But the way you talk about love is just so it, big it's and so like expansive, it's, yeah. 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 It's like a it's like a political practice within itself. Yeah. Love.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's it is the biggest thing that that I've ever noticed. I've never seen anything bigger than love. It's done things that I thought were impossible. So, yes, it is It is a political practice, and it is a form of rigor. And it, it is an everyday form of rigor, and it takes a lot of commitment, and it makes everything that has ever happened that has been life-affirming, that's what's made it possible, ultimately. Yeah. That, that's been the motivation behind it. So, mm-hmm. yes, 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 love and love. And love some more.
0: But who do you consider your peers to be? Like, who are your comrades? Who is the, the, like, folks in your circle? You pick up the phone and be like, girl, let me tell you what this... <laughs> 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 like,
2: but who are your peers? <laughs> oh, I love this. Well, I, I feel so grateful to be, you know, age mates with so many geniuses, so many Black feminists. Geniuses. Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh. I mean, I think about Savannah Shange. I'm thinking about Tourmaline. I'm thinking about Imani Love. I'm thinking about, um, I'm not going to be able to name like even half the people. I think about Jessica Marie Johnson. I think about uh, Tamika Middleton. I think about, I mean, I I just feel so inspired all the time. I think about uh, women of color who I met through women of color blogging. Mm -hmm. Like, um, Noemi Martinez and like uh, Nadia Abucar and Fabiola Sandoval like I I just could name people forever Lisa Victoric Borchers. I think I I don't necessarily think that all of my all of my community of reflection is is my same age but if I just look at people my mm-hmm. same age I just feel like I could just I, I feel so inspired every day by what we're creating. And I know it's an outgrowth of what came before us. And I know that what yeah. I see is a, is a profound, loving commitment to the future that we're responsible for. I see it everywhere. I mean, I, I think that um, I feel also a huge uh, experience of abundance because I feel like there, I, can, I can reach out to so many people to get inspiration you know and the aspects Mm -hmm. of it like when I'm feeling like oh what about this or how to you know like when you need to talk to somebody who will be honest with you (laughs) and um, I think that that's I think that that's a practice that we have been able to see modeled and that we are cultivating for each other so so yeah, it's it's not a fair question because the whole length of the podcast, I could just be naming people, you know, like yeah, <laughs> there's so many people, and and we we are so lucky to have so much access. Yeah, I mean, you know, you think about Barbara Smith talks about this all the time, like how expensive it was to make a long distance call when they were like creating their movement, yeah. and yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, and it's it's in a sense for an art arch- for an archival, you know, person like me. It's great because they wrote all these letters because they couldn't afford to call each other. So now I can read the letters. But right, um, wow. But yeah. at, the, at the same time, I feel like I feel like I have so much access to be able to text, to be able to to Marco Polo, to be able to just see on Instagram. You know, like I, I feel mm-hmm. like we have access to supporting each other that is really resplendent, and I know that I could do. More and want to do more around deepening those relationships and, you know, supporting each other in tangible ways. But it's, mm-hmm. um yeah, uh, June Jordan talks about what Fannie Lou Hamer created in Mississippi, and she calls it a homemade field of love. I feel like mm-hmm. I'm living in a homemade field of love. You know, like, I just, yeah. I feel so many loving actions. I feel so many people who are in my generation and in, in, in my age group or a little older or a little younger, really offering gifts and blessings and sincerity and love to our community. And I feel so grateful that I get to witness it.
0: For us as like community ass bitches, <laughs> like, <laughs> like always thinking about like who who we are connected to. Like I just never thought about like how this time we live in makes it so possible for yeah. us to be Like in community with each other, Mm -hmm. and 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 also as you were talking, I was just thinking like you are so young. Like there's just (laughs) like you are so young and have already like mapped out like these lineage lineages that make it possible for you to do what you do, and are so aware of like what you're going to be leaving as sort of like a yeah. blueprint for younger yeah. baby black feminists sure. after you. And I'm just like, wow, that's real community building. Truly. Right truly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's a, I, I, may it always, may it always honor and reflect the diligence of our mm-hmm. foremothers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know that's right.
1: So I'll ask a question for you. Uh, what, what are some things that uh, you're still learning? Mm,
2: I love that. Well, I was just saying, you know, learning like what does it look like to support each other, to support each other sustainably um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: when we have, I feel like I have community geographically, you know, like my community in Durham is really important and I can see my impact and I can also see lack mm-hmm. of impact, you know, that I have in this particular community. How and is I- Durham so popping? Like what's going on down there? What, yeah, what's <laughs> happening in that triangle? <laughs> I mean, I've been saying this for a minute. Like, Durham is the center of the universe, and uh, <laughs> that is the truth. Um, there's, honestly, there's an incredible history here in Durham that's old. I mean, like, there's mm. there's a history of stewardship of the okanichi Band of the Saponi Nation that is present and um, powerful in this space. And there is an incredible history of black institution building in Durham, North Carolina. There's uh, many decades of coalition building of folks across identities, black folks, queer folks, queer black folks, you know, (laughs) like that um, have created so much possibility here in Durham that I benefit from, I think about Mandy Carter, who is just one of the most incredible institution builders ever, and uh, one of the founders of Southerners on New Ground. She's one of the founders of the National Black Justice Coalition. Oh um,
0: yes,
2: yeah. Mandy Carter moved to Durham in 1982, and I was born in 1982, and I'm just like, thank you, Mandy, like every day. <laughs> thank you, you know, like because I I feel like the That she has been part of so many different coalitions to make something possible beyond people's um beyond people's individual imaginations, but like really yeah. the expansive possibility that that happens when like Audrey Lorde has been teaching us to do, we really we really do enact the creative power of our differences and find ways to move together so I am um, yeah, I'm for Durham all day, and I could also talk for hours about about that but something that I I, and I'm still learning how to really be who I need to be for my community here locally um, while also participating in movement in all over the place right so that's something that I'm learning is what what are the ways to be grounded here that are most generative and accountable to my community but I'm also learning like what does it mean to be in community with and sustainably supportive of people who I'm connected to who are all over the planet, you know, like how, how does that, even though social media makes us more visible to each other, how do we sustain that? And and what does it mean to deepen relationships when we aren't at each other's kitchen tables? Um, yeah. mm-hmm. So that's something I'm definitely still learning and that I'm committed to learning and practicing. I think it's part of our part of the phase of evolution that we're called to and I'm definitely learning it. You know, I'm, I'm, I feel like I have a lot to learn when it comes to that. Um, I mean, I'm, am learning so much. I'm, uh, I'm learning visionary dottering That's like the project that I'm working on right now is like a book called visionary dottering um, I feel like I realized the day that Revolutionary Mothering came out that really I also had a question underneath it about daughtering. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> right. That, that's, that's been a lifelong question that even led to the question around mothering. Um, so, yeah, I'm learning, like, what does, that, what does that look like and what does that mean? And I'm actually right now just started, like, this week started uh, asking people if I could listen to them and just talk to them and interview them about what visionary daughtering is and might mean. So that's something that I'm learning because daughtering is deep. And if there's a possibility Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for mothering to exist beyond a reproduction of patriarchy, what is the daughtering that exists beyond the reproduction of those systems? I I think I think it's a very revolutionary possibility and I'm I'm here for it and I'm I'm in it Mm -hmm. and I'm and I think that many of us are are practicing that and so what would it look like to support each other what would it look like to have even more language around that right. that's something that yeah i'm very excited to be learning about consciously yes. and that i think i've been actually trying to learn my whole life so yeah. um yeah yeah i mean that's, i'm i'm yeah. learning i'm learning so much it's there's so much to learn um sure but i i um yeah i'm just grateful for you all in creating a space that allows that learning to happen together, that allows it to be fun and funny, that allows it you guys are just so real with it. And I love the way that when I listen to your podcast, like how you talk to each other and the questions that you ask each other, it's like, it's not the surface question you like go under the surface. And you know, I I appreciate the relationship Mm -hmm. building that you've done because the relation, the stronger and deeper the relationships we build, the more we can learn in them. And you all then generously offer that to people you don't even know, which I think is so generous. So, yeah, thank you for how much learning you make possible. Oh, oh Bill, <laughs> I'm
1: on the verge of tears. Like thank you. I feel like I'm thank gonna you. cry. <laughs> so much. Wow,
0: um, it it just yeah, like it tied it tied a lot of things together that was going through my head as you were like talking. Because when I when when you when you introduce like daughtering, right? I was thinking about like. That siblingship, I don't know, mm-hmm. like sisterhood, yeah, also, yeah. and yes. like not not all of us who are daughters of Black feminism choose to be si- like in sisterhood with each other, mm. and so like it, it feels like a it feels like a choice that we've we've intentionally made our friendship. Wow. So like more like a sisterhood, you know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. Like we we don't run from the hard stuff with right, each other, and right. we lean in. And like doing that through your work, yeah. Um, and like the ways that you don't run from the hard things—I don't know—it's just—it's something there felt like,
1: yeah. It's just all connected. And I mean, of course, how could we do this interview without? um, So it's not a—it's not a coincidence, of course, that Barbara Smith came up. But you know, it was her birthday the other day, and you said it. And you said it in the interview, and just something that I just I just can't say enough. And it's like a phrase that you've repeatedly used throughout um the interview. And um when it was like when I was thinking about her birthday, it's like you you're so right. Like her commitment is just so I mean it just runs so deep. And it's like and when we um I don't, when we talk to her, it's like, she's still, like, she's still so committed. And that's like something that you talked about. It's like, I just, like, your commitment and your, like, accountability to the community is like, I, like, I'm not even this kind of person, but like, it resonates so deeply. Like, I'm just feeling it so viscerally. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I just, I just can't say enough about, like, how much, you know, not, I just appreciate you as an individual, but just like, just how much you do to, like, uplift and your commitment to not just, like, the present, but, like, again, just, like, the legacy of Black feminism. It's just, it's just, Mm -hmm. I just know that our lives and our communities are richer for it. Yeah. Yeah, truly.
0: Yeah, and, like, thinking about, like, archival work and how, like, whenever (laughs) the revolution comes, like, post-revolution, that, like, this podcast will be there and, like, um... I don't know, the commitment to the community and, and the, the what, like this, I don't know, just thinking about like those pictures we took at NWSA and like how mm-hmm. one day this is, this is going to be an archive, an you know, archive, like, yes. like some, yeah, some young black feminist is going to uh, like discover this and be like, can you believe the three of them <laughs> were talking <laughs> on this podcast?
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, I believe that. And I appreciate that. And thank you for the acknowledgement. And I, I know that, you know, it's interesting. They say that um, after everything, like if humans aren't on the planet anymore, like just after everything decomposes, all, all of that stuff, that the radio waves and the vibrational waves are just going to still be here. And mm-hmm. I think about that in terms of this podcast. I think about that in terms of even beyond the words that we're saying right now the The energy, you know, like the frequency yeah. that we're meeting on, is something that outlives everything we can imagine. And I, I feel grateful to be tuned in, literally, with you all, and yeah, just to be experiencing that love frequency and creating more archives for the possible. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, like we like to say, we think that that sounds like the black ass bottom line. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Yes>. For real. <laughs> Oof. Wow. Oh. oh my gosh. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank APC. you so much. Like, this is...
2: <laughs> wow. You're so welcome. You're so
1: welcome.
2: All right.
0: So we hope that y'all enjoyed that conversation um, and the brilliance yeah. and uh, what, what's the word you've been using? The Black Feminist Luminary. Yeah, that's, that that's is, it.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh APG. Uh, but now, we're going to get on into Curved. curve, <laughs> curve, Curved, 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 Curved. <laughs> Chronicles. And for those of you who might be new to listening, Curved Chronicles is a segment where we tell the woes and, and the wins. wins of our dating lives and your dating lives if you would like to submit one at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. Um, so, I would like to talk in this segment about NWSA. What is NWSA? In Atlanta, Georgia. NWSA is the National Women's Studies Association Conference. Mm-hmm. So, all of the gender studies nerds, the feminist nerds, yeah. this is our conference. Yes. This is where we congregate. Yep. And convene. And I walked in and nobody
1: prepared me for how fine... Everybody at NWSA would be. Yeah. I just saw the pictures. I wasn't able to make it, but I was like, whoa. Good God. <laughs> like, you you walk in. First of all, I, you could tell
0: everybody who was at that hotel for the conference. Because they're just walking around like, oh, yeah, of course, this is us. And you could tell everybody who was like, what the fuck is going on here? Because <laughs> it's, it's like all these radical feminists. Like, you see, you see such creativity and, like, outfits fashion. and fat, yeah and like the hair and you just see these looks from other people that are like what is this yeah it's in wsa um so yeah everybody was so beautiful i was just really taken aback by that like you just look out onto the room and was, everybody could get it okay. <laughs> <Wow. That> is- <laughs> um i also so y'all know i slandered atlanta Oh, yeah. In previous episodes. I still stand by that. Um, It's just not a a cute... It's so confusing to, like, get around Atlanta. I don't understand. Why are there, like, multiple streets named Pete Street and they all intersect? It's just weird. Um, So I didn't get to go, like, out and about in the city much. Um, I went a few. Uh, I would uh, really like to shout out Four Keeps, which is a bookstore. Oh, right. Yes. That I got to go to with, it. they had they just have rare black books, but it's owned by a black girl. So shout out to the owner of Four Keeps Books, Rosa Duffy. I got to meet her, went in there. Um, it was just I don't know, it's just it's an amazing space, and it's also like one of those moments where you're like, I've dreamed about this, right. like having like a book a space full of black ass books. But she actually created it, and she's young as hell. It was just really inspiring. Um, So that's, like, the only time I got to get out and about in Atlanta. And what a great way to do so. But there were baddies at the bookstore. Yep. You know, baddies at the restaurant across the street from the bookstore. I specifically, in this Curve Chronicle, wanted to talk about a workshop that I went to at the conference.
1: This is like a Dr. Seuss poem.
0: Baddies here, baddies there. (laughs) Bad bitches everywhere. (laughs) Essentially. (laughs) Um... So I went to this workshop and it was called Lesbian Pulp and uh, it was, it was facilitated by Kiki Loveday. That was their name. Cause I remember, cause it was, it's like such a specific name, right? Um, And so she's, what she's doing is like creating an archive of lesbian love stories Oh,
1: that's so beautiful.
0: It's so fucking dope. So, like, um, like writing her dissertation about that too, like archive and lesbian love stories. And so, like, you know, I was interested because of that. But I'm I more so wanted to talk about this in the Curve Chronicle Chronicle segment because it was just it was a workshop that was set up to be, you know, super academic. Like, here's here's my work and da-da-da. But the people who attended, we just turned it into something different, and Kiki allowed it to go there, sure. which is what I loved most. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, some people you prepare something and you're like, "I have, have to stick to this," right? But um, so there was a there was an older white lesbian in this workshop, and she was talking a lot about just feeling so. Her heart was really full looking at all of us little yeah. queer babies because she was in her eighties. Yeah, holy and shit. And she's like, you know, when I was out. 50 years ago, we never imagined that, first of all, we would live this long, and second of all, that, like, you all would just be out. So that made the space incredible. But she also, like, facilitated these activities where it just felt like we instantly became a little lesbian community Uh at the conference. Um, So, again, this is a... um, a gender studies, like, feminist conference. So, obviously, there were hella queer people there, but there wasn't really a space for queer folks. So, we just all floating around. Um, And I know this wasn't even a fraction of the queer folks who were there, um, thanks to them, like, scheduling things at the same time. Uh So, it's like, oh, all the lesbian shit is at 11 o'clock. So, you just have to pick which one you're gonna go to. But this group that came together in that workshop was just so fun. And I met some cuties in there got some numbers numbers but <laughs> okay my point in talking about this workshop one of the activities she had us do was to to write about and then talk about one aspect of like lesbian love that uh, stories that we want to be told mm-hmm. and so my answer to that was I wanna know how to date as a lesbian. Like I don't like you were talking about cinema. I was like, I've never seen that story. Yeah. Like yeah. the the clumsy lesbian high schooler who like yeah. falls over her books in the sure. hallway and like falls in love with the cheerleader or some sure, shit. Sure, sure. You know, just like something. I just wanna I just wanna see a lesbian beginning. Like, how do you how do you approach somebody? Like all that stuff, right? So I'm sitting there because I'm me. Processing out loud, I'm like, you know, I just don't know how to like approach women. It's like I see her and I go through this whole process in my head. Um, is she queer? Is that her partner standing next to her? What if she's straight and I go up to her and she gets all offended? Oh, what if she's like, uh, you know, all this stuff? And then by the time I go through all of those questions in my head, she's gone. She's gone. Yeah. Um, and so (laughs) this older black lesbian who was sitting next to me turns to me and
1: says, "Just (laughs) tripper." Is, I just I don't I don't know if I'm a fan of this advice <laughs> but I had to say it
0: on the podcast she said just trip her like, if you are interested in somebody trip them make sure they don't get hurt too bad in the fall you know help her up say you're so sorry introduce yourself works every time <laughs> that is awful that is terrible so, I think I might be out here tripping people. Please, <laughs> I was about to say, please no. So, you know, if, if if you just so happen to, like, trip around me, I probably did it. And I probably think you're cute. Yeah, okay, so people are going to stay away from you. <laughs> or be sure to wear knee pads. I just thought it was funny because... I don't know. You, you, I love Sharon's face with like all oh, the dykes. Yeah, but like yeah, that, yeah. that, that was her solution. And she was straight faced, just like, trip them. Works every time. <laughs> and I bet
1: there's somebody who's probably like, is that how Sharon got me? She was out here tripping me. You know? There has to be some other way. I don't know. Spill your drink on them? Oh, these so all just are not. These are all like really not good inconveniences. <laughs> so sorry, I ruined your shirt. Guess you have to take it off. <laughs> okay, this this has taken a turn.
0: No, but yeah, it was fun, and I just wanted to like talk about that because it, it. I don't know. It gave me hope it's It gave me hope. It, ha- it affirmed you as a bad bitch. It does because you know I. There's all these moments where I'm like. <sighs> Like, life is great, but, you know, sometimes it feels like, oh, is companionship even possible yeah. as, like, a, a black lesbian who's getting older every day? <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. I mean, I am. It's real. It's true. And, you know, hearing hearing that much older, like, lesbian say, you know, I wanted to come to this workshop because I wanted y'all young, younger dykes to know that it's possible. Yeah. Like, seeing lesbian love or, like, just even jokingly talking about how to awkwardly date. Yeah. Like, it's... It just feels,
1: like, hopeful. Yeah. I don't know. It feels, like, doable. You don't have to, like, ruminate, like, by yourself. Yeah. Or internalize. you just like, oh, like, other people... Either other people are, like, mm. dealing with the same things that I do or people have been able to overcome the things Right. That, yeah.
0: Right. Like, that's the thing about, like, you know, talking to Alexis Pauline Gum's about, like, our... our Black feminist foremothers went through this and they wrote about it. Yeah. It gave us a blueprint. Yeah. Not seeing our clumsy dating stories in cinema, it like presents their absence. Like yep, as if yep, these yep. things aren't happening. And exactly. they are. They are. We are clumsily out here falling in love and like falling literally. Yeah. Clums- <laughs> uh, falling, <laughs> tripping. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> 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 I'm not I promise Nikita, I won't trip anybody. Who doesn't have health insurance?
1: <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Medicare for all. <laughs> that
0: was it, and I think we did an episode, friends.
1: That was great. I, f- I feel so pumped after this one. So yes. I I just feel I just feel I just feel the black feminist energy just coursing through my veins today.
0: It uh, I feel yeah I feel just so inspired to take on this week. Yeah. Same same. Wow. Well. Remember,
1: hit us up on all the things at Queer Walk Pie. Use the hashtag Queer Walk. Tell us your favorite, well, black lesbian film, your favorite lesbian film, or tell us the ones that you think are just that Trash. you fucking hate it too. Yeah. Using the hashtag Queer W O C. If there's something that stood out to you by um, Alexis Pauline Gum's Brilliant, yes. share that. Yeah. Shout Where Were to- you at NWSA? Who are
0: you? I. I I f- How could I forget to say that? I met so many listeners at NWSA. Yep. And she didn't have merch, yes. even though I told her to. I'm so sorry, y'all. I was so- Nikita told me to bring the stickers. The night before.
1: It's okay. We all My flight mistakes. was at 5 in the morning. And I told you at like 1 a.m., bring the stickers. I was half asleep. Okay.
0: The point but remains. I owe you all stickers. So yeah. if y'all just hit me up and be like, hey, it's me from this workshop. Where are my stickers? I'll give it to you. We'll get it. All right. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all.